Welcome to the Picture Book Look podcast. I'm Kim Chafee. And I'm Kirstie Call. Together, we'll share some of our favorite picture books and chat with their creators to explore the journey from story idea to bookshelf. We'd love you to join us as we take a picture book look. We have so much love for the 12 by 12 picture book writing challenge. 12 by 12 changed my writing life. I not only started writing more, but I also connected with other writers and got my agent because of 12 by 12. The private forum is a place where you can get feedback on your manuscripts and your pitches. The monthly webinars give you insight into the industry and the support and motivation that you receive as a member is unmatched. Registration is only open through February, so don't wait. Visit 12by12challenge.com slash membership for more information. Hey, Kirsty. Hey, Kim. Should we just hop right into today's book? Yes. Follow That Frog by Philip Stead, illustrated by Matthew Cordell, is a hilarious romp down memory lane with Aunt Josephine and Sadie. My son laughed out loud when we read this together. I'm not surprised. <laughs> this book is hilarious, and it gets more and more utterly ridiculous um, with each page turn, and I absolutely love that. We're excited to chat with Philip, Matthew, and their editor, Neil Porter, about the creative process behind Follow That Frog. Let's talk. Philip, we're going to start with you. Follow That Frog is actually the third book in the trilogy of Aunt Josephine and Sadie's Adventures. Can you tell us where the inspiration for these characters and this story came from? Uh, yeah, I actually can. This one was really specific. Matt and I had wanted to work on a book together for a while. And I think we were just kind of waiting for that right story to kind of land in our laps. And one day, uh, a good friend of mine came over the studio to have coffee. And she sat down and she started telling me about this dream she had had the night before. And, and the dream was that she had taken an elephant to the <laughs> post office to try to mail it to me. But when she got there, the people working at the post office were like, there's no way you're going to be able to afford the postage to get this thing across town. Like, you're just going to have to find some other way to get it there. And that was the whole dream. But I was like, that is perfect for a picture book. So that became the, the crux of the, the plot line for the first book, Special Delivery. Wow. Um, and then from there, like once we kind of set up that world, it becomes easier to write um, inside of that world. The second book, The Only Fish in the Sea, I, the crux of that book is uh, that there's this sort of snotty, bratty little girl named little Amy Scott who decides that uh, the goldfish she gets for her birthday is, is boring. It's not a good birthday present. So she, she walks it down to the ocean and just tosses it in while it's still in that little plastic baggie. It's, she's just a horrible little kid. <laughs> the inspiration for that one actually came from a story I used to be told from my grandpa when I was a kid. And there was this little girl named little Amy Scott. So it was little Amy <laughs> Scott woke up with the gimmies and went to bed with the gods. You know, most of my books have very, very sweet and sincere characters. I had yet to ever make a book where there was like a nasty person. And I loved books with nasty people in them when I was a kid. <laughs> so it was kind of a goal of mine to make a, a nasty child who learns absolutely no lessons um, <laughs> and is nasty, nasty from the beginning to the end. Um, and credit to Neil, our editor, because a lot of editors, I think, really would have shied away from that or would have wanted a lesson to be learned. And True. I think there are lessons to be learned in that book, but not with that character. I mean, <laughs> the lesson is that you don't want to be that character. Right. For sure. If I were to have made that child learn some sort of saccharine lesson, the kids reading that story or having that story read to them would know that it was a lie. 
because they encounter these people in their real life who, you know, don't necessarily ever come around and, and you have to navigate that. You have to know how to navigate those situations. So the way that Sadie and Sherman navigate it is that rather than even dealing with little Amy Scott, they go on this sort of mission of kindness to rescue the fish. So uh, Amy Scott actually becomes irrelevant to their story because the fish is the, the, the point of it all. And um, I love that message for kids that those people who are bullies don't have to be relevant to your story. So Aunt Josephine really is featured more in this story. I feel. Where did Aunt Josephine's story come from? Because this one I feel like is wild. Yeah, so Aunt Josephine is based on a real person in my life who has actually, she's been in another book of mine, a book I wrote called Ideas Are All Around. There's a, a woman named Barbara, that's her real name. Um, she's been a friend of mine for a long time. She was actually my landlady when I was in my early 20s. So I lived in this little attic apartment in Ann Arbor and she lived downstairs and she lived in the company. She lived alone, uh, but she lived with all kinds of animals. There were um, you know, dogs, cats, hermit crabs, fish, birds. She would take in animals off the street. It was pretty wild. And she would just regale me with these tales of her youth, how she had you know, traveled the world and lived in Greece and worked on fishing boats and maybe, you know, uh, participated in a coup in some small third world country. And, and like none of it made any sense because she never left the house. Like I had never seen her leave the front yard. But at some point she just kind of decided like, I've done it. Like now I'm going to stay home and, and play Scrabble and just, uh, you know, hang out with my tenant in the afternoons. <laughs> nice. That's really cool. So Matthew, Philip was saying you guys have been wanting to work on a project for a long time. What was it about these stories that made you want to say yes? It's just so uh, over the top and exciting. And I love the main character. And when special delivery came around, at least neither one of us had done the, the sort of that type of character, like a strong young female who just took the world, you know, by storm. And uh, I feel like there's been this, this real great push in the last few years to create these more empowering stories for uh, females and minorities. We weren't living in the uh, resurgence that we are now. And uh, it just felt like really exciting to do that. And it was really fresh and fun. And it was, it was very appealing to me, the idea of, of working on a book with a friend, my friend Phil. And, and also this would have been the first book that Neil and I got to work on together. So all of that together was, uh, was really exciting to me and signed up right away. <laughs> oh, that's great. So Neil, can you give us a look into the editing process for Follow That Frog? <laughs> anarchic I think is the word that comes to mind you know all three books have been sort of united in this kind of generalized insanity that began when Bill came to me and said you know I really like this guy Matt Cordell was before Matt Cordell was Matt Cordell <laughs> <laughs> we had this sort of fateful meeting at an ALA in Chicago you know, it was sort of like a get-to-know-you meeting, and we went looking for a quiet space to talk, but the conversation was terrific, and it just seemed like, you know, I, I kind of have gotten to the point where if it isn't fun, I don't want to do it. Makes sense. And it was clear to me that we could have a lot of fun with this book. And it was such a shift for Phil, who I 
been publishing for a while, um, both books he wrote and illustrated and books he wrote. Uh, and Aaron, uh, his wife, illustrated, and they were all very soulful and had kindness and friendship and thoughtful and lovely. And here was this totally rambunctious, <laughs> insane character that just, you know, I, I just, you know, fell in love with her immediately. This was really a collaboration where we would get on the phone and yak, and we came up with ideas both verbal and visual. Yeah, this was definitely a true collaboration. Uh, I was accustomed to being kept apart from the author of the book by the editor or the art director. And in this case, uh, we all wanted to be together. It just worked so well. We were all in tune to the same station, I guess. You know, we all <laughs> had similar senses of humor. It was just such great fun. Each one of the books has been like that, a true joyful collaboration. Like no was really never part of the conversation. Instead, it kind of became like that classic, like improv group uh, game, but like the yes and game. Like instead of saying no to something, it was like, well, yes, let's do that. But why not also give uh, the pilot a sidekick that's a pig? For example? <laughs> <laughs> the anarchy of this story actually grew once we started incorporating visual ideas. All three texts are told completely in dialogue. There's no narrator in any of these books that sort of ground you in a space or tell you what things should look like or uh, really where you are at any given time. It's just Sadie constantly talking or Aunt Josephine constantly talking. Can you give us a little bit more about the writing process, maybe specifically for this one? Her mm -hmm. adventures and the things that she recalls are just hilariously ridiculous. Did it start out there? So all three of these texts were written basically in their entirety in just like an hour or two. And the, wow. the idea came and and they changed very, very little. In fact, a couple of things maybe got deleted. You know, as, as strange as these things are, there were some digressions that were even like beyond the pale. <laughs> um, there was just something so natural about, about writing these things. Once you found the voice for these characters, you could tell a tale for hours, especially if there are no rules and there are no rules in any of these books. So you can just constantly say, well, what if this and what if this? How fun. So, and I loved that because you had no idea what was going to be coming on the next page. You did such a fabulous job. So, Neil, I love how the story for this book starts, and all the others, they actually start before the title page. Is that something that you, as the editor, suggested? I will say that I'm a big movie buff, and I've always liked making books as cinematic as possible, and so very often in film you will get a little piece of the movie before the title credits roll. Where did that come from, you guys? I can't remember. That was Matt. I remember it, I had no idea we were going to do that until the first dummy showed up. I had seen that in a couple other picture books. That uh, In television, they call it a cold open. When I saw it in the picture book, I just thought it was so fresh and unusual. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> and I, it works for, like Neil said, for cinematic purposes. It sets the stage before you get right into the action of the story or the drama of the story. Yeah, it gives yeah, you I, a little extra real estate. In this new book that we get to see pages from Aunt Josephine's journals of her travels uh, in a very kind of sketchbooky way, it's just that it, it's, it's one of my favorite things in the book. That's so much fun. So the illustrative process for this book and for all three of these books, there's so much detail on every page the text is relatively 
non-descriptive when it comes to what's happening in the background or what you know side characters there might be uh, it's all dialogue it was really it was like a blank canvas in many ways where I could just do whatever I wanted <laughs> I needed to deliver something special <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to make them laugh you know I wanted to make them laugh and I wanted to surprise them I was thinking about our audience as well and I, I, there were many things that I put in there that I was like, oh, they're not going to leave this in, but I'm going to put it in anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I all pretty much stayed in through the That's final fantastic. I, my, I think my favorite example of that actually comes in Follow That Frog. You know, Matt had basically like answered the challenge up to the game of both of those books as he, as he did the artwork. I remember when I wrote the third one, I was like, I'm going to throw some stuff at him that he won't be able to handle just to see like, <laughs> and so I'm thinking specifically, there's this page where we talk about this guy named Admiral Rodriguez, who has uh, recently been lost in a tragic banana accident. <laughs> really came back. And instead of choosing to, to show the actual, um, you know, like him actually being crushed by bananas, he instead built this whole uh, like shrine, shrine. <laughs> to Admiral Rodriguez. <laughs> burning. And it's just like, it, it makes me laugh every time. So he really, he, he once again answered the call. I love the humor in this book. So we have one more question for each of you. Let's start with you, Neil. When someone reads this book, what do you hope they feel or learn? Uh, I don't think learning and... <laughs> And here's the equation at all. This is not a teachable moment kind of book. Uh, I hope they feel the exuberance and the joy and follow that frog in particular. We just said we need fun. We need so much fun. I get 35, 40 submissions a week, and so many of them just want to make me cry. Cry because they're not very good. In this moment of time, everybody's grappling for a way forward, but we can't forget about humor. And funny, I hope kids have a rollicking good time with this. Matthew, we'll go to you next. Same question. When someone reads Follow That Frog, what do you hope they feel? There's a lot of books right now that are about heavy things. There's definitely a, a purpose and, and reason and need for those books, but I also think we need just to laugh and we need to read a book that you want to know what happens on the next page. You know, you want adventure with someone. You, you can't uh, <laughs> go anywhere, can't be around other people. So let's take an adventure, taking them out of the world that we're living in and giving them a little extra joy and laughter. So important, especially right now. So how about you, Philip? What do you hope people learn or feel or not learn <laughs> when they read this book? We really don't want books to teach things. Um, these aren't textbooks. I think it's a little bit condescending when the author uh, sets pen to paper wanting to teach something and, and children can recognize that. Now, the books have meaning, but they, they, they shouldn't ever have messages. When they have messages, they just they don't work. You might as well, you know, make a day calendar or something instead with affirmative <laughs> messages. Kids are going to glean completely different things from the very same book just because they're coming at that book with different life experiences. Yeah. And even though Special Delivery and, well, all the books in this trilogy are very different in tone than the other books I've done. The tone is different, but I actually think the meaning is very similar because the first two books are really messages of kindness. So Sadie is, is trying to deliver this elephant to a great aunt Josephine because she's worried about her and she wants her to have company. 
which is really sweet and nice and to do despite all the mania that's happening. And the only fish in the sea, she's genuinely concerned about never met, which actually takes a lot of empathy um, to worry about a, a goldfish that's floating away in the ocean. What's going on beneath the surface is actually deadly serious, like literally deadly serious, because that, that goldfish is going to run out of air at any point. <laughs> yeah. And even the third book, the third book has a little bit less of that and really plays up the humor quite a bit. But underneath all of that, to me, Josephine, is that she just wants to do something well. So it is her job to catalog that frog, and she's going to go to the end of the earth 60 years later, and it still bugs her that she hasn't finished this job. And I really relate to that because I'm a perfectionist, and when a thing isn't done well, it really, really bothers me. And I think that there are other kids that are going to read that and, and get that feeling too. Like sometimes you just got to spend your whole life trying to finish something in the right way. A big thank you to Philip, Matthew, and Neil for joining us today and giving us a look into the creative process for Follow That Frog. Check out the show notes to learn more about Philip and Matthew and their other fabulous books. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And we would love it if you would leave a review. Thanks for listening and happy happy looking! looking. (laughs) Picture Book Look is produced by Kirsty Call and Kim Chafee. Music by James Call.